Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. There's such a, a difference between education and learning. When most people hear and use the word education, they're typically talking about an outside-in experience. It never felt right for me to feel like this is it. I've arrived here. I ended up here. You never end up anywhere. You're just always here. That kind of Western paradigm, it just completely takes you out of the present because it's always looking forward. How are we going to get to this point versus sinking into now? Yeah. What is really driving me and moving me and inspiring me and then allowing for that outcome to be yeah. what it is? So what if I was actually catching a memory of my future self? And that's when everything changed because that's when I realized that if all thought exists simultaneously, it's started to seem to me that time was, was so much of a game. So I stopped believing as if time is this fixed ride that I'm on and I'm in the roller coaster and I just have to ride it forever. If all the thoughts that exist, exist right now, then that means I can access whatever thought I want. Again, I started to, to test this and realize that imagination is just a muscle, but your imagination is powerfully informed by the number of leading edge experiences you allow yourself to have. Because I began to realize that logic is an app, but it's not the OS. It's not what we live in. It's not what we swim in. And that, that's become the dominant paradigm in my life is I'm in partnership with everything. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know why I'm here. I know exactly what I'm here to do. And I know exactly how to do it. I don't have the courage to have a dream and not follow through on it because that's what kills you. If you got good grades in school, you may face some serious handicaps when it comes to real life success. Grades reward obedience to authority. Grades punish creative observation. Grades instill a profound sense of scarcity, competition, and fear of unworthiness. Grades create the illusion of a future that promises safety if you get it right. Real life does not work this way. In reality, life rewards you for courage. In the real world, you are rewarded for contribution, not conformity. Whether you got good grades or not, if you are struggling to feel lasting fulfillment, if you don't know and live your unique purpose on this planet every day, or if you grapple with always feeling behind no matter how much you achieve, consider that these feelings are the after effect, the consequences of going through the spiritual meat grinder of the education system. You survive, so congratulations. But until you shed the last remnant of the fear-based residue that this system inflicted upon you, struggles will remain. When you do get free of this mental and emotional garbage, that's when your life takes on a whole new shine. You stop trying to compete. Instead, you just create to your heart's content. You stop comparing yourself negatively to others. Instead, you appreciate their success, secure in the wisdom that there's plenty for everyone and that you are on the right path for you. And perhaps most importantly, you stop trying to prove yourself worthy because you know in your bones 
that your birth and your existence is proof of your worthiness. And now you are free to claim the rewards just waiting for anyone who dares to dream and to do. Those are the words of my guest today. My brother, my dear brother, my somewhat mythical brother. There's something, there's some (laughs) magic wizardry that I've sensed from you before I knew you, just when I knew who you were. It's hard to put into words. But as I've gotten to know you, as you showed up on that Wednesday in November, and we embraced long lost brothers, and I've felt so connected to you from, from that moment. Uh, and, and as I was sharing with you before we got on, the, the way you articulated those thoughts and feelings is, is something that I've been uh, in some ways struggling to find the right words. Because I feel all that you spoke to there. And uh, there's, there's a lot, there's a, so much to unpack there. But for me in particular, that uh, grappling with that sense of un, unworthiness, I guess I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand how much that education system played into that. I, I had looked at the education system as a way that, uh, again, we, we talked about it last night, but we are memorizing someone else's alleged experience with fill in the blank. And that's almost as far as I had gone. There's an indoctrination going on there and, 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 and all that, but um, you really spoke some truth to me. And so anyway, enough from me. Thanks for being here, brother. It's such an honor, man. Really, really. Any time to spend with you is always, always a treat. Oh, and we had, I mean, last night we had a group of, I don't know, eight or nine of us here at the house. And, uh, you know, I had posted something on Instagram and called it council because it felt very much like a council. It wasn't, you know, this group of men and, and my two boys were there, my 18 year old and my 15 year old boy, boy, uh, old boy. And they got to be a part of that and witness that and, and, and see that. And add to it so much. Oh, have their own insights and feel safe enough to express them and not feel that, well, I'm only 15 or I'm only 18. I don't have anything to add. Uh, and so I'm, I'm super grateful for, for the men that showed up and, and created that safe container for them. But what was really special for me was seeing a couple, a couple of the men who really viewed the, the, the world through, uh, I don't know if I'd say diametrically opposed lenses. It could be viewed that way, but there was a, a, a beautiful challenge going on. And it was really, I would say, directed your way. And what I witnessed was supreme grace. I, I saw someone who... I would argue cannot be triggered because you were being directly challenged and through an old paradigm that would be a personal attack. And you don't view it that way. You view it as a playground. And I think you invited the others in the room, myself included, to play in this sandbox and have fun with it. And what came out of it, you know, it, part of me was bummed we didn't have a little camera there because there was so much magic 
but I also was, was licking my chops because I knew that less than 12 hours away, you and I were going to sit down and, and get to riff and get to yeah. share some of that medicine with everybody yeah. here. So yeah. I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on that post cool. and what it brings up for you. Cool. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words and for your, your presence and, and you're such a catalyst. And so seeing over these last six, seven months, who you attract and how you attract them and how people show up in your presence and in your space. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of spending time with you and with Peyton and in your home and outside. And, and you've just got this, this curious, playful, but very competent vibe. And I think you sort of elicit those qualities from other people too. So it's definitely a, a symbiosis. Mm, thank you. I, I received that. Yeah, man. And the, uh, and on the whole triggered thing, um, I, the way that I see it is, I mean, if we're going to use triggered as a metaphor, you can only get triggered if you're loaded to begin with. And mm. so if you're not, mm. if you're not loaded, ready to go off, then nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, dude. You had the, this calm, this sense of calm the entire time. And there were some, on some level, some, some, some challenging things to unpack and big topics for sure. Yeah. Big, big, and really, uh, in some ways oppositional to the way some people view the world, very kind of black and white in, in some, some regards, uh, which is where, where, you know, for me, it was really, uh, it hit home because I spent a lot of my life in that black and black and white world and it brought up its challenges and it also had its benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now being able to sit in the curiosity and, and not having to know and then be able to tap into both to have the nuance, to know when to activate the black and white piece and when to just play. Yeah. Yeah. It's been my dance. Well, and then, and that ties directly back into, to what, uh, what, to what I wrote yesterday that you just read. There's a, there's such a, a difference between uh, education and learning and they may seem like the same thing, but when most people hear and use the word education, they're typically talking about an outside in experience. And so it's extremely cerebral, uh, tends to be not always, but often is a sort of disembodied thing where you're reading, you're learning, you're listening. And so it's this absorption of information that is then supposedly memorized or, or regurgitated or maybe at best reframed so that you can pass some other hurdle that someone else created. And so there's this education system, but the actual word education, the root word educa is Latin. It means to draw forth from within. And so it's not an outside in experience. It's not a, a cramming into this human container of facts and figures and numbers and, and events and, and, and knowledge, although that's obviously useful. But most people who had a, a, whether traditional educational experience or even any classroom educational experience, it's coming from the outside in. And there's a fundamental premise to that, which has always been curious to me and which I've observed has, has a lot of disadvantages. And the fundamental premise there is that this child is somehow incomplete. They're, they're empty. They're devoid of what they need in order to make it in the world. So we, as the well-meaning caretakers, adults, teachers, parents, et cetera, 
It's our job to make sure this kid gets everything into them that they don't already have in terms of information. Uh, let's just say information so that they can then be prepared to go off and, and live a successful life. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I just never had that experience. And so I, I am absolutely, the more time that passes, the more appreciative I am of having been born to two parents who stayed out of my way and uh, loved me enough to let me have my own experiences and to always support whatever direction my fascination and my interest and my curiosity was taking me with very little interference or guidance on what I should do. And, you know, that brings its own set of challenges, but it completely, um, it, it helped me to stay connected or, or, or I guess never lose that insane curiosity and fascination for life. But that's a, such a subjective thing. I mean, Who's to tell you what you should value? Who's to tell you what you should be interested in? Who's to tell you what you should be fascinated by and motivated by? Those are uniquely individual things. And so every one of us has that. We're all born with it. But then that brings this other sort of um, concept to the table. If the first concept or a premise of education is that the child is incomplete and needs to be filled up with information so that they can then go on and be successful... Well, what would the opposite be? The opposite would be that this, this kid, this being arrives to this planet with everything they need. And all they really need is to be kept physically safe, emotionally nurtured. And that's it. Like, that's it. Let them figure out their own life. And, um, the, the cool part is it's never too late. Like you can, you can start leaning into that direction at any moment. All it will require is the courage and the clarity to shed whatever echoes of authority are still bouncing around from your third grade teacher or from your parents or from, you know, that girl you liked in high school that you adjusted your behavior so that she would accept you. You know, these are all still bouncing around and all they are are just, it's like a flywheel. And if you just stop pushing it, it'll just die out and you start feeding something else, pretty soon your brain is filled up with a bunch of new experiences, a whole bunch of new insights, and those are authentic because you've earned them of your own volition. <laughs> Again, like just for me, opening up this, this aperture of what, what, what's within that. And, and again, I had never thought of this is an empty vessel that needs all this input versus you know, and again, my experience lately has been, we're just uncovering so we can get back to the remembering mm -hmm. of what we, as you said, we're born with all of it. Yes. And, and to your point about it's never too late, I, I, I will just say that I feel like I'm a living example of that with my kids. My kids are 18, 15, and, and almost 14. And really within the last year, just intuitively, I started to adopt this and allow them, like, how can I show it for them with love and support and some guidance when necessary, but really stretch those boundaries and let them cross those boundaries to figure out where they are and then pull them back in. And, but, but be okay, quote unquote, fucking up as a yep. parent by letting them be curious. Right. Which 
is the opposite of fucking up. <laughs> like that is like so the true. most powerful thing that any parent can do is to honor their child's uniqueness and authenticity, including having what might be perceived as risky or dangerous experiences so that life can teach them. Not words. Words don't teach anything. Well, the only thing it teaches is direct personal experience. And, you know, it's, when you look at, at the research that's, that's um, available and is continually being done on our brain and how our brain actually is so malleable, and there's this phenomenon called neuroplasticity where the brain is continually responding to demands that are placed on it. And the more diverse someone's experiences, the more new experiences they have, the less your brain atrophies. And so you continually are experiencing neurogenesis. You're experiencing a replenishment and a rejuvenation of your brain's capacity and capability. And what that allows you to do is to continually stay fascinated, motivated, totally energized. And the byproduct of that is you become ridiculously resilient and anti-fragile and you, you become indestructible. Like you become fearless because you've got so many recent experiences of, oh shit, I don't know what's going to happen. And then it, it's fine. It's fine. And your confidence just continues to amplify. Yeah, you're right. There's that resilience where you do make it through that kind of darker, quote unquote, feels like a darker period. And then on the other side, you're like, wow. Yeah. It yeah. really wasn't, you know, there's that fear. So where does that, where do you, where do you believe that fear comes from? Is it just, just what we're born into here? Uh, a few things. Yeah. It's, Fears is overwhelmingly just a practice. It's just a practice. And, and we observe it, we absorb it, we sense it, um, and, and we model it. You know, we, observe, we see it in other people. And it doesn't take too long of having enough people, especially in, in childhood or your developmental years, your early human developmental years. It doesn't take too many messages of watch out, be safe, be careful. Even though there's no reason for it in your experience, but the other person's concern or their mostly well-meaning advice to be, to be careful, yeah. that just becomes the echo. And then pretty soon you don't even know why you're being careful. You're just like, I guess I better watch out. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to see. And I've, and I've made a life out of this uh, for myself and, and helping other people with this to gently and responsibly confront irrational fear. And to realize that that fear is actually just fuel. It's just signal. It's just information. And you can actually delabel it. Stop calling it fear because that carries all this emotional gravity with it. It's not fear. It's just a set of physical sensations. Maybe it's an elevated heart rate. Maybe it's a tightness of breath. Maybe it's sweaty palms. Maybe your knees are shaking. So what? Like, that means nothing. It's what you're going to do with it that matters. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I, uh, about a few months ago, back in December, I went to Black Rock Desert with a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, this is where Burning Man happens and, and there's nothing out there and it's December and it's like 12 degrees and it's super cold. But you're on this giant prehistoric lake bed and it, there's not a plant. There's not a blade of grass. There's not a rock. There's no bugs. There's nothing. This place is serene and clean and sterile and beautiful. So I'm in my forerunner and he's, he's driving next to me and uh, I just put it on cruise control and I'm going like 45 miles an hour and you can literally just be on cruise control for half an hour and not hit anything in any direction. This place is massive. So I'm on cruise control and the thought just occurred to me, I don't have to drive the car. The car's driving itself. And then this little 
thought pops into my mind, what would it be like to open up the door and just like stand out the window, you know, out the door and just like hang on this vehicle? That would be, that'd be kind of cool. Let me try it. So I open the door, lean out, car's going, you know, it's freezing outside. And that was pretty cool. And it normalized instantly. It was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Like, why wouldn't I do this? This is such a neat experience. And then the next thought pops into my mind. I wonder what it would be like to be on the hood of the car right now. <laughs> so I get out of the vehicle Dude. and I get on the hood of the car. The door slams shut behind me immediately because it's going 45 miles an hour. I and hope your window was down. It, the, well, the, well, the window is down, but it's unlocked. That would be a trip. <laughs> you just lock yourself to, out of to your try car. To try to unlock the, <laughs> to, to open the door when it's going 45 miles an hour, there's a lot of, I would think, resistance from the yeah, wind. That would have been a, a puzzle for sure. <laughs> but so I get on the, I get on the hood of the vehicle and, and it just, and I just sat down. I just crossed my legs and just was on the hood of this vehicle and felt the, the, the temptation to worry. Like that, that lure of, oh shit, watch out. You better be careful was there. But having a pretty clear understanding of physics, having a, a very um, clear understanding of the environment that I was in, knowing the variable of the speed of the vehicle, it's not going to change. And mostly just trusting my own balance and trusting my own skills. And way back in the back of my mind is worst case scenario we hit the one rock that exists within a hundred miles. <laughs> the vehicle veers. I take a tumble. Eh, I don't think it'd be fatal, you know, at 45 miles an hour. It'd be an interesting evolutionary experience. <laughs> but then beyond that, what's the worst that would happen? I would die. And that's just not a concern for me because I don't truly believe in death. I think there's just life and sometimes life is physical and sometimes it's non-physical this soul that I have, that we all have, this individuated expression of infinite consciousness, having this human experience and infusing this body. But I'm not this body. I love this body. I have this body, but I'm not my body. So if my soul withdraws from the body and the body is like a, a used up candy bar wrapper, you already enjoyed the candy bar, but now it's just the wrapper. Fine. Then I'd be on to the next thing. And everybody that's close to me in my life understands and accepts that. And even my death, they get to have their own experience around that. That's not mine to, to handle. And the video, is it still up on your Instagram? Once in a while. I've seen I, I, it. I, I pop it's it up so there, yeah. good. One of the things, thanks for taking us through that because that's a beautiful expression of, of where that, the, those bodily sensations can take over if you let them. Um, but one of the things that came up as you were, were talking about, don't do this, be careful. My daughter, Hope, had called me this morning. She never calls me. She'll text. First thought, is everything okay? And when I called her, before she answered, I literally played out in my head saying, is everything good? And then I literally caught myself almost like fucking seeing into the future. I said, hey, how you doing? And it may seem subtle to people listening, but if I say, is everything good? There's fear in my voice. There's, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's that tension. And there was no reason 
for me to make that huge assumption that something was wrong. Right. To meet her with just excited to be on the phone with her and be like, hey, you know, what's, what's up? How you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's those little things too that can really make a difference. What's so powerful about what you just said and, and your, I mean, that's a masterful choice to, to notice a, an existing pattern check it for, as we were talking about last night, check it for usefulness. You know, is this a useful thing to say? Is this in alignment with my principles and what I truly, the experience that I want to create for her? And the the amazing thing about kids is that, and a full disclosure, we keep talking about education and parenting. I should say, I don't have kids. Um, I used to be one. I'm a former child. So (laughs) graduated then. Yes. Um, but I worked with thousands of kids, you know, teaching martial arts. And that was my entire life from 15 years old. uh, And I'm the oldest of five. uh, And I was married for 10 years in an amazing, amazing partnership. And she had three kids when we met. So I've, I've had, I've had some, some diversity of experiences there. But the amazing thing about kids is that they are continually monitoring the reactions, the emotions, the expectations of the adults around them, especially their caretakers. And you know, we would see this happen in martial arts where you know, a child would be learning and they, and they, you know, they go to, to do a kick and they kick too high and they lose their balance and they fall down. And one of the most important jobs that we had as instructors was to work with the parents when the child enrolled and said, your child is going to experience lots of mistakes. And some of those mistakes may carry a physical consequence. When that happens, your child is going to immediately going to look to you because they're looking for security and safety and reassurance. Or you know, in some cases, they, they want to you know, see if, if they're getting your approval or are you disappointed? It's an, a healthy, natural thing. So we would coach parents. The most important thing you can do when your child takes a tumble, you know, falls down, you know, get, gets, gets punched or kicked and scored on in a, in, a, in a match, and they look at you and they're hurt, they're scared, they're uncertain. The most powerful thing you can do is just look at them and go. Uh, the double thumbs up. Just give up. them two thumbs up. No matter what's going on inside of you, give them that. And it was harder for the parents than it was for the child. But this, you know, child would kick, they'd fall down and, and immediately look at the parents and the parents are like, <laughs> yeah. like, like uh, scared. But then they'd look at the instructor and the instructor's like, yeah, get up. Yeah. Like this, mm, like you got this and you could, I've seen this hundreds and hundreds of times, this, this little narrative play out in the child's mind. You can see it on their face because kids haven't learned to put social masks and filters yet. You know, they haven't learned to disguise their emotions. And so you can see they fall down and they're like, ah, they're hurt. They look at their parent. Huh, parent's cool. Look at the instructor. Instructor's saying, get up. And you see this choice that's made instantly where the child goes from and they stand up. And that, that cusp, like that moment of, am I going to be a hurt victim or am I going to lean in the direction of my own strength? Am I going to step up? Am I going to get back on the horse, so to speak? Am I going to do the next thing that's going to allow me to become this better version of myself? You know, kids don't verbalize it that way. Most of us don't verbalize it that way, but those choices are happening all the time. And when you see a kid who gets bumped or bruised or hurt, and then they still make the choice to stand up. That is resilience in action. And so what you did with hope is so powerful because it, 
I don't want I, the word training is not the right thing, but we're everything's a practice. So by you engaging with her from a place of optimism and enthusiasm, anything that might have been going on for her that she would have perceived as a problem, assuming of course it's not injurious or life threatening or, or you know a genuine danger, she then gets the gift of going. Well, actually, I guess I am okay. Oh yeah, Dad, everything's great. And now you're beginning to build this relationship based on possibility and based on strength and based on agency and merit, not victimization. Oh yeah. And, and in this case, she actually needed to get in touch with Peyton. So, so I was like the, the second column she'd already talked to her, but had there been an issue, sure. uh, an event, if I come in, are you okay? And then she comes like, no, this happened. And then I'm already heightened. I come in, what's going on? And she shares this thing that she's scared about, but I meet her with a different energy. It does, it dissolves. And she knows the next time and the next Mm. time when she reaches out that there's a calmness and that I can handle it, whatever it is. And, And it's such a powerful trust builder too, especially with a teenager, because knowing that your love for them is so complete and so unconditional that there is literally nothing she could do that would cause you to not love her. Mm. And then when she feels safe to bring anything to you, noticing all these years, how you've, you know, these, every experience, you're just greeting her with love and, and confidence in her. And then there's, there's nothing that, that, that she can't talk to you about. Dude. And it's, it's so different than what we're taught. It's, um, I've had it particularly with, with Bowen, my 15 year old, who is, I'd say in the last couple of months, gotten super interested in psychedelics where he's listened to, you know, my podcast with Kyle and, you know, both of us on each other's and he's listened to a bunch of Rogan and he's asking for information. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, and I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but you can imagine, uh, with the majority, how the majority of parents would handle that. And for me, I saw, I've seen this as an opportunity to build that trust, to 1, say, I trust you. And here's, here are the resources that I've found useful in my exploration. And he'd ask me, have you done mushrooms? I know you have, like, what else have you done? It's like, well, I, I, I did 5-MeO-DMT and it's like, well, what was that like? I said, well, I've done it a couple of different times and this is what it felt like the first time. And the container was a little challenging. And the second time it was much better, but there was still fear, like really gave him the, the, as, as best I could, the breadth of my experience. Mm-hmm. And last night when we were hanging out here, before you got here, one of the guys uh, asked, he goes, what's it like? And Bowen was sitting right next to me. He said, what's it like to have your 15 year old son ask you about these things? And it was just like, wow, what an opportunity it, it is. The trust that he, I really feel like he'll come to me with anything because I can handle it and yeah. I won't judge. And I love his curiosity. I'm not necessarily ready to give him a, a gram of penis envy, but, right, right. but I'm open to whatever is going to best serve him. Right. And that, I mean, from a, from, from a place of, you know, these two souls that joined in this family in this place on, you know, on earth, what a, what a recognition of, of mutual sovereignty that you're learning from him as he's learning from you and you're his dad. And so there's all of this 
authority and there's all of this safety and there's all these, these gifts that you can give him. He's giving you so many other gifts as well. And to your comment about, you know, most parents would freak out. Um, yeah, most probably would. And I have an interesting, uh, some is just served me to look at advice through a certain lens. You know, when somebody's giving me advice, the first thing that I ask is, are they qualified? Are they, mm. are they qualified to give me advice in this particular band of, of information that we're talking about. I love that by the way. And so I'll just look at and say, is this person experiencing results or, or are they having an experience or is their beingness something that's intriguing and attractive and, and, and aspirational for me? And if the answer is no, then anything else that comes out of their mouth is like, it's, it's not landing because <laughs> you're not qualified. You know, I, I did a video on Facebook a couple years ago and it was like six, seven minute video. I was just talking about confidence and where it comes from and how to generate it. And, and, uh, a dude comments on Facebook and, and he's like, you could have said all that in a minute. And, uh, and I just liked the comment and I replied and I say, Hey man, thanks for commenting. Um, I'd love to see a demonstration, you know, like shoot me a link of a video where you've done this so I can learn. <laughs> and he's like, well, I've never done it, but you could have done it in a minute. I said, well, then you're completely unqualified to advise me because you're saying things without direct personal experience. And that's, that's not something that I accept into my life. Dude. And that's, that's the, one of the things last night in our conversation, there were many threads, but one of the ones that, that pinged the most for me was your total reliance on your personal experience. And, and for me, that came to light um, through one of the, the teachers I love. Uh, are you familiar with Ajishante? He's a spiritual teacher here in the United States and been to a few of his five-day silent retreats. And that's one of the things he really is clear about. You are an authority of your own experience and that's it. Yeah, the only one. Yeah, and that's, and that's how you've oriented your life. How much easier is it when you do that? I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah, right, right. I guess, <laughs> I mean, was there a time? So you've always had this orientation to it. I've always had a, an affinity for it. And I've always, we all, we all are. I mean, we're all born with that. We're yeah. all born with our signal intact. We're all born with our intuition, our sense of what we want and don't want. And then very quickly that gets informed by other people and that's useful. It's part of the, part of the journey. Um, and certainly, I mean, when I was a teenager and, and you know, early twenties, there was a lot of uncertainty because, you know, I was very socially awkward. Um, but I was very, uh, verbose, you know, I grew up just reading tons and tons of books. So I had a great vocabulary and then I found martial arts and I started teaching. And so by the time I was 15, I'm teaching classes. By the time I was 17, I'm running the school. So I had all this, this skill and ability to teach, but I was so personally uncertain uh, about purpose, about, I mean, I was going through this depression, you know, there's really, really dark times, but none of that seemed to go all the way down to the core of who I was. And I just always had this little feeling of, I was, Cool. It's interesting. All right. It's a moment. And some of those moments lasted, you know, for months, you know, months of being depressed or years of trying to figure out money or trying to figure out relationships. But I, I just never, it never felt right for me to feel like this is it. 
I've arrived here. I ended up here. You never end up anywhere. You're just always here. And then what's next? What do you want next? Oh, and that, you know what that brings up for me here is, is the conversation around time. That's a good one. And that's really what kicked things off <laughs> yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah. And I, I'd love for you to, to, to just kind of share some thoughts around time and how most of us experience it. And, uh, <laughs> it was like, Whoa, that's here, here because go. it can be so, <laughs> it can be so kind of esoteric, but the, but, but the way you shared, like, I, I, I get, felt like I got it. Now I wouldn't necessarily be able to spit it back to you because I need to still have my own experience with that, but it, it landed for me. Yeah. Time is a, time is a big one. Um, what do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? That's irrelevant. <laughs> so, you know, time, time is, is such a useful illusion. Um, and, and again, I'll just preface this by saying, you know, this is not a, this is not a prescription. Um, I, d- I did a video on this a few years ago and it was, it was like three, four minute video. And the thing got like 10 million views. I mean, people lost their shit and the comments, hundreds of thousands of comments. And some people saying, this is the most powerful thing I've ever seen or heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I can just feel all this trauma just releasing. I feel free. I feel like what, what is going on? And then other people are like, that's bullshit. You can't prove that. And there's all these studies to then you're just a cult leader and that, 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 all this stuff. And one guy, oh my gosh, this guy's so creative. He said, I, <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this lovely dude, very passionate guy. He says, I hope God turns you into a tree that then gets chopped down and turned into a Bible. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay then, buddy. That's, that's creativity, man. That's fantastic. Um, but again, you know, it's like back to the trigger thing. You can't get triggered if you're not loaded to begin with. And when I made that video, it was sharing my observations and my experience. And I don't have training in this. I don't have a degree in, in, in physics. I, I, I don't understand the, the mathematical, uh, even a fraction of the mathematical equations of Stephen Hawking or Carl Sagan. Massive respect to those minds. All I know is what I've experienced. And it's, it, it started to occur to me that if, well, you, we'll start from a, a very easy, basic point. If you take, a, take an ice cube, it's a solid, solid matter. And we know um, empirically that this is made of these, these water molecules. Um, and those molecules are moving around, but they're, they're vibrating at a slower rate. They're like they're moving around each other very slowly. And it's a solid object. That's what makes it solid is the, the molecules and then the atoms that are, that are composing the molecule are all behaving in a very particular way. They're vibrating very slowly, which gives the the creation of this solid matter. But if you take the ice cube and you you turn up the heat, then it becomes water. It's the exact same substance, but it's a different form because it's vibrating at a different speed. So those molecules become more fluid. Uh, Literally, they they start moving uh, and behaving in a different way. The atoms within the molecules are now flowing and, and, and moving in, in a different pattern. 
So the form changes. It goes from solid to liquid. Now, if you take that liquid, if you take that water and you heat it up even more, then you vibrate the, the atoms and the molecules that they compose or that, that, they, that they make up. Now it's vibrating faster. And what happens to the water? It becomes steam. So we went from solid to liquid to gas, even though it's the same substance. You just change the, the, the speed of the vibration. You change the, the, the behavior of the, of the bits that make the, this thing. And if you vibrate it even faster and, and agitate it even more, then it becomes plasma, the fourth state of matter. So solid, liquid, gas, and plasma, four states of matter in the universe. And, but if you, those are just, those are only the physical states of matter. But there's obviously, observably, so many different other forms of, let's say, reality, although it gets a little weird. Um, you can't see sound, but it obviously exists as a vibrational wave. You can't see light. You can see it when it bounces off of something. You can see it when it, ref when it, when it shines through a, a, a fog or when it bounces off of a surface. But just because you can't see it or, or touch it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, obviously. It goes even more than that. There are so many non-physical forms of energy, non-physical forms of, of, of reality, including radio waves. You can't see a radio wave. And in fact, if you were to go back in, in, you know, to 500 years ago, even if a radio wave would exist, it would be functionally non-existent because there's no device to receive it and translate it and, and turn it into sound. Same thing for, uh, you know, your phone. You, if, let's say your phone doesn't have any music on it, but if you've got access to, you know, 3G, how many G's we're up to now, um, or Wi-Fi, you can get any song you want. Where's the song? Song is right here. The song is in the cloud. So what the phone does is it receives and then amplifies and then transmits this data. Where's the data? You can't see the data and yet it's right here. So what if, and this is the, the thought experiment that, that occurred to me a while back, what if what we experience as thought exists just on another vibrational level? If you've got solid and liquid and gas and plasma and then sound and light and radio waves and 3G and X-rays and gamma rays and all of these, all of these waves, well, why not thought? And it's not, this is not an original line of thinking. I mean, there's other people that have, that have, have certainly talked about this and, and taught this. But what I began to test was when I'm having a thought, is that thought based on memory or is it imagination? In other words, is it something that happened already that I'm, that I'm recalling or is it something that hasn't happened yet that I'm imagining? And then things got weird because I started to think, well, if this thought is just like a, 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 a wave, very similar to music, if, if somebody's in your living room playing piano and we're sitting in here and we grab the, the djembe and, and we start putting a beat. Well, those instruments are in two totally different rooms. And yet the music exists in both rooms simultaneously. Even though it's being created in a different room, sound transcends that. 
So you can hear the piano and you can join the drums and they can hear the drum and, and the music permeates the entire space. What if that thought exists in both the past and in the present? And what if right now I'm touching that thought with my mind, so I'm thinking the thought, but who's to say that there's not a past version of me in another time elsewhere or else when, and that version of me is thinking the same thought. Maybe that's their current experience. They're having a present moment experience. And here I am in this time having a memory, but what if we're just accessing the same thought? It's like plucking the guitar string from two different spaces. The note permeates both spaces. Now this is veering into, you know, what the hell does that have to do with living a cool, successful life? Well, I started to test taking, taking this, this uh, thought different directions. So I began to wonder what would it be like if I not only visualize something happening in the future, but I were to imagine that that was actually a future version of me having a very real present moment experience and remembering back to this moment. So what if I was actually catching a memory of my future self? Oh. And that's when everything changed because that's when I realized that if all thought exists simultaneously above this three-dimensional linear time-based reality, which is, which is a function of our consciousness and our, and our being squeezed into these bodies and assuming that this is it. Well, that's a naive assumption. So what if there's another version of me that I can then sort of access through, through imagination, but what if it's the same thought? And I, that's, I just start, it started to seem to me that time was, was so much of a game, so much of an illusion. And I began to have a lot more access to, to memories, a lot more access to imagination. And I started to, to see things differently that happened in the past. I would go in my mind, in my imagination, sometimes just daydreaming, go back to another version of me that was a particularly unpleasant experience and go to that kid or that teenager or that guy and as myself say, bro, I've got this and thank you. Because what you're about to experience is going to completely set the trajectory for the most epic life you can't even imagine. So hang in there. And it was cool visualization experience, except then I started to realize that literally my feelings about that experience completely changed. 100% changed. And experiences that I would, had used to think of and kind of wince a little bit. Now, I used to be a fighter and I had this fight one time and, and got... Um, guy was 40 pounds heavier. His corner had covered him in grease because they knew I was going to take him down. And I, I ate a lot of punches that fight and I ended up in the hospital with a collapsed lung. For years after that, I would still think about that night and like, God, that was such a terrible night. I got beat up. Um, I didn't have any money. I had a collapsed lung. My, all my students saw me lose. You know, it was like this traumatic night. But the more that I kept going back there, and realized how much of a gift that was, how many other awarenesses and epiphanies I had that night in the hospital and how those informed my worldview so powerfully, pretty soon, all I could do is think about that and just feel nothing but love and appreciation. There was literally no more memory of pain. There was no more memory of trauma. There was no more story. And our cells are so informed by our emotions 
all disease is the residual byproduct of emotion. So if I'm just not practicing these emotions of suppression or fear or negativity or doubt or worry or anger or revenge, or if I'm not practicing those, if I feel them fully and allow them to alchemize and then get right back to this natural frequency, then my body has to reflect that. And so I've, I've seen my body heal from all sorts of shit, torn meniscus, destroyed shoulder, uh, collapsed lung. And I'm very appreciative for all of those beautiful evolutionary experiences so that I could test what this body's capable of. So I stopped believing as if time is this fixed ride that I'm on and I'm in the roller coaster and I just have to ride it forever. And then I started thinking, well, shit, if, if, if all the thoughts that exist exist right now, because they're outside of this linear, excuse me, this linear agreement of time. And that means I can access whatever thought I want. And that's when I, again, I started to, to test this and realize that imagination is just a muscle. But your imagination is, imagination is powerfully informed by the number of leading edge experiences you allow yourself to have. If you're just absorbing other people's stories through TV or movies or books, yeah, that'll help your imagination, but it's not going to help you in your body. It's not going to give you new muscle memory. It's not going to give you new physical courage. It's not going to give you better physical fitness or emotional fitness. It's not going to give you a better sense of humor. Only telling awful jokes enough gives you a good sense of humor because you get all the shit out of the way. And then you start leaning into a different thing. So the whole time uh, illusion, I started to realize that this, this prescribed or, or, or presupposed a timeline that it would take to succeed was irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. If it's an emotional journey of certainty, and if I can connect with that version of me that is already doing the thing, even if it makes no logical sense to me right now, I'm good with that because I began to realize that logic is an app, but it's not the OS. It's not what we live in. It's not what we swim in. There's rational, there's irrational, but then there's transrational, something that goes beyond an analysis and logical thought. And I began to experience myself as a, a, not just a container, back to our early conversation, not a container that I need to be filled up with facts and figures so that I can go produce in the world. I began to experience myself as a conduit, like the phone just tapped into the cloud. So I started to test this aggressively. I, I booked a tour and did 26 cities in uh, like six weeks. Every stop was a different audience. And I would come out there and I would say, I'm so glad you're here. Um, if anything great's going to happen tonight, it's because of you, because you have a unique reason for being here. And my commitment to you is to speak only from direct personal experience that may be useful for you. This is not a prescription in any way. It's simply a description of what I've found valuable. But the magic here is in the collaboration. This is improv, action, philosophy. So why are you here? And then I wouldn't know what I was going to say two seconds before I said it. And these, it just things just flowed. And it wasn't like a channeling thing where I just like disappear and you know, <laughs> yeah. like bring in some alien, you know, it's like, I like me too much, you know, I'm like, get the fuck out. You'll go find somebody else to channel. I'm, this is me right here. This is me. But I began to see that the, the, the answers and the strategies and the, and the concepts and the philosophies that were coming out of that live interaction were so far superior to anything that I had sat in my laboratory and try and craft this, uh, 
here's this tool that I'm going to give to the world for the rest of the, my life. No way, man. I'd rather oh, be dead. Oh God. That seems like such a heavy lift. It's, it's freedom, so- dude. It's freedom. Yes. Absolute freedom. And I kept testing it because I'm like, wow, how far can this go? And so like I, I, that December, I guess the next year, um, I got the idea in my head, let me do a 24 hour Facebook live and see what that's like. So I announced it. I said, all right, gang, here we go. I'm going to start at 7 a.m. And we're going to go 24 hours straight. And I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's going to be epic. And people jumped on. We had some people on for 23 out of the 24 hours. I mean, they were just in it. And I didn't know what was going to come next. It just riffed. There was no planning of like, oh, I'm going to take them on this journey. I fully accept my responsibility to be in charge of the experience, mm. but not in control. Like it's not my job to control it. And that, that's become the dominant paradigm in my life is I'm in partnership with everything. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know why I'm here. I know exactly what I'm here to do and I know exactly how to do it. So I can only bring into my experience other beings that align with that same thing. So there is no fear. There is no uncertainty. And we were talking last night about this financial experiment for you know, six years at the end of every month, just getting rid of my money, give it away, spend it, blow it, have fun, knowing that it's going to fill up again. And on times that it didn't fill up, well, that's a block in me. It has nothing to do with the economy. I ha- it's every single human being has their own personal economy. You have a personal relationship with money, just like you have a personal relationship with oxygen. You have a personal relationship with health and energy. It doesn't matter what anybody else is experiencing. And so it's a, it's a hell of a ride so far. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, there's, there's a lot coming through. And uh, we don't have eight hours or 24 hours to get through all of it, which maybe one day we or will. do we? Because <laughs> <laughs> I would fucking love nothing more. Let's, let's dig a little bit deeper because you kind of, uh, you made mention of the, the six-year experiment. And I think that's, that's worth digging a little deeper so people can have some context for what it looked like practically. How did you actually get rid of the money? And then what was the purpose of it? And what was the... You know, what was the, the, um, yeah, what did you leave that experience with? Yeah, entering into it, um, it wasn't hard because I wasn't making very much. And so it's not hard to, you know, you pay rent. You pay- what were you making in the beginning? First um, couple months. And yeah, this is in 2013. And you said this was Buck, Mr. Buck, Mr. Fuller's. I was inspired. Well, I should say this. I, I was, uh, I was encouraged into the experiment. It was justified by something that I read. Um, not so much inspire. It wasn't like I read Buckminster, Buckminster. I read that Buckminster Fuller would at the end of every month, just like get rid of his money because he felt, felt it kept him more creative. But I didn't see that until I was maybe a year or so into this experiment. So in 2013, I'd sold my business. Um, I was in the process of getting divorced and was in many, many, many ways starting over um, socially. I had this whole life that I, that I left and one or two friends that I was really good friends with that I'm friends with to this day, but literally everybody else stayed behind my golfing buddies. My you said that last night that you used to be belong to a country club to me. That it's so funny to think yeah, of what you go to country club. It's a great club. chapter. Yeah. We yeah, do got to play golf someday and that'd be fun. Well, give me like four years to practice. <laughs> There's none of that. I know. I know. But the, um, yeah. So 2013, I was starting over that year. I made uh, about $60,000 and I had a couple of clients that I was very appreciative of. 
Um, and I, and I, they were getting great results. And so they were very happy with the relationship, but I still had no idea how I was going to create value and, and contribute consistently. And, um, so I was figuring it out and the next year in, uh, 2014, um, I made a little over 600,000 and, you know, for those that are listening, that are coaches, you know, there's no money like coaching money because it's, it's a very clean, very pure exchange of value. You know, I'm going to bring my wisdom and my perspective to amplify whatever you've got going on. And in exchange, a fraction of the, of the, the impact and and the expansion that the client receives comes back to you in in the form of, of dollars. So it's a very clean, clean, it's very clean money. Um, and there's the way that I run my business, it's extremely profitable. So for every dollar of coaching money or consulting money, uh, there's about 85 to 90 cents left over. So it's a very high net business. And I decided to just follow whatever felt like the right thing to do with money and not censor myself at all with one caveat that is do no harm. As long as nobody's harmed, um, well, at my, at times I was, there was, there was things that I, that I did that might've seemed risky, you know, Like what? uh, Well, financially, you know, traveling the world with one bag and a credit card and passport and and my phone and that's it. And running my whole business like that for eight months and just taking one way tickets around the world. um, You know, that could be perceived as risky, but to me, the far greater risk would be not doing that when I wanted to. And so I wasn't willing to face that risk. I don't have that level of courage to have a dream and not follow through on it. It would kill you. And so I, I'm, I, I want, I want people to hear that one again, say that one more time. Um, I, I don't have the courage to have a dream and not follow through on it because that's what kills you. Dude, it's such a beautiful reframe. Well, yeah, it's, it's been useful. <laughs> so making this money opened up just lots of opportunities. I started getting invitations. Hey, come travel here, come travel here, come travel here. And then when I found myself on all these one-way tickets, um, you know, that I had the choice, like, am I going to fly coach or am I going to fly first class? Well, I would much rather fly first class. I would much rather be in a, in a, you know, reclining place with chocolate and champagne brought by these, you know, amazingly sparkling, beautiful humans. I found myself on, a, on, on, uh, uh, Emirates, which incredible first class experience flying from Austin to Dubai. And I was the only person in first class. So there's like six flight attendants and me in this, <laughs> in this like cavernous place. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just going to move around and like test all the beds. They're like, you do whatever you want, Mr. Elder. I'm like, y'all are awesome. Y'all want to, want to drink? They're like, we can't. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that flight, you know, that's like $15,000 flight that I had no problem investing in that experience. And I just allowed myself to invest in the experience. I was careful and continue to be observant um, as to when something is merged, is, is kind of swerving into coping territory. Am I just repeating this experience because it makes me feel good about myself and I need to feel good about myself? Well, I don't need to spend money to feel good about myself. That's inside of me. And 
you just want to feel free. Yes. Do this. Yes. Feel free. <laughs> Cal 50. Hopefully right. when this comes out, it's, it's still Cal 50 for 50% off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. um, and so I was, I was observant that, you know, that there's experiences that I could absolutely have um, that could probably get redundant and, you know, potentially addictive. And so I was, I was watching out for that, but mostly just surfed life, you know, and, and somebody give, would, would, you know, my, my best friend, Guillermo Velez, he's a photographer and, and truly my Morpheus, man, he broke me out of the matrix. I mean, he started giving me music back in 2011. Like what kind of 10. music? Uh, back then a lot of deep house. And I was like, what is this magic? I've never heard it before. And, um, you know, then, then, uh, you know, we, we've had, we've been friends for like 20 years and so much of what he was sharing with me and his lifestyle and traveling was very inspiring for me. It really served as a, as a template for you know, a, a lot of ways that I'd like to live my life. So he'd message me and he says, Hey, there's going to be this thing in Morocco and it's going to be for a week and it's going to be uh, with the best DJs. And there's going to be like 40 or 50 of us. Are you in? I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course. And so then I text a girlfriend of mine in LA and said, Hey, do you want to go to Morocco for a week? She's like, Oh my God. Yes. So we just had this crazy Epic thing probably 25K for the whole thing. But I just, during this experiment, never worried about where the money's going to come from. And I decided to aggressively lean forward and lean forward and lean forward and lean forward. And I'm not an experienced skier, but in the skiing experiences that I've had, you know, the faster you're going, the more you have to relax. You just got to be in this relaxed space. Uh, a better example that I do have more experience in is motorcycle riding. You know, if you're, if you're taking a turn and you're going fast, the faster you turn, the harder you lean. Failure to lean into the turn will shoot you into the ditch. And I began to experience that financially. The more I leaned in the direction of contribution, but only if that contribution feels so fun and so inspiring that I can't not do it, that's how I'm going to make my money. And there was periods where I wasn't feeling it. So I just stopped everything, just backed off and just got still and just said, okay, well, what's, what's my function here? What's my purpose here? What is the way in which I'm going to create the biggest impact, knowing that impact, positive impact is a byproduct, not an outcome. This is another thing that completely, I'll, I'll, I'll soapbox this a little bit because the, the, especially a Western capitalist mindset of acquisition, accumulation, and growth at all costs, scale culture sets these aggressive goals, nothing wrong with that, but sets a very aggressive target and then do whatever it takes to hit the target mm. and you can get a lot of shit done that way. But another shift that I, that I've experienced as, as beneficial is looking at value creation as a natural byproduct of authentic being. Yeah. And in, in, in chase, that kind of Western paradigm, it just completely takes you out of the present because it's always looking forward. How are we going to get to this point versus sinking into now? Yeah. What is really driving me and moving me and inspiring me and then allowing for that outcome to be yeah. what it is? Yes. I love that. Well, especially in growing a company, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that I've had the good fortune of coaching and, and consulting on, on their, on their projects, it tends to be people who are either uh, they've, they've had a very successful exit and now they're like, great. I've, I've at least for now, I've won the money game, had this super successful exit. Now I need to get some clear space and plot out what am I going to do with this resource? And is it in alignment with my purpose on this planet? And so that's, that's a, a big 
period for someone. Um, another example is when somebody's scaling and, and they are growing very fast and they're starting to hit that speed wobble and they're like, okay, shit, how do we, how do we get back to Zen? How do we get back to this eye of the hurricane where no matter what's going on around you, blue skies, calm waters, and you're good. And what I've observed is that the more chill the founder or the principal is, the greater freedom their team and everybody around them feels to be themselves. And it can be discombobulating because if somebody has been running a, a show that is completely authoritarian and central command, you know, command and control and a, a typical hierarchy, the moment that founder starts to chill out, everybody shows who they really are, which oftentimes is not pretty. You know, they've been, they've been following the lead. So it, it reveals itself. Um, but generally what happens is the people who don't need to be part of the mission anymore, let themselves out. And the people who are ready to step up, step into their power. And you end up with a, with a company or a team that is completely symbiotic, not in a, in a, in a flat org chart sort of way where, mm. you know, it's just hippies and like, Oh, we, nobody's in charge. That's a great way to destroy your business. Um, but truly recognizing the power of each person and the uniqueness of each person. And then saying, you do you, you know what the mission is. You know what you have to do in order to get there and knock yourself out. Tell me you're working with, you're still working with founders and C-suite and, and all yeah. that, because I think anybody listening who is in that position, we're going to find out at the end of the episode, a little teaser here, folks, how to get in touch with Jesse, but that uh, just what an asset that would be to any, I mean, think about all the, the resources that are spent on everything else totally. versus getting that culture, that, that the heartbeat and getting everyone oriented and, totally and tuned up. in. Yes. When everybody is synced up, it's like, the, it's like the difference between watching, you know, four and five-year-olds as lovely as they are, try and make music and you, you just got to appreciate their enthusiasm, but it's not the same as Dave Matthews that we're jamming out to. And they've got all these expert musicians and they are just in their zone. And you can listen to Dave Matthews riff live for 12 minutes and just be hanging on every note because these guys are all, they all know their part and a winning team can be nothing less than that. Dude, dude, let's talk. You touched on it. You didn't use the term, but you used it last night. And it's something that really, really pinged to me. Authentic money versus inauthentic money. And, and why it pinged me is, you know, the, the project that I've started over the last year was Unlearned Ventures. Mm. And that came about as I started to tap into things. And, in, in, you know, my, my word is what things that brought me joy. Mm -hmm. Founders that I connect with, that I want to support. Products that I would evangelize if I had zero stake in the company. And it became, I've had so many passive investments that I did for various kind of lower frequency reasons. I didn't want to miss out. Sure. This was a friend who was starting something. Sure. I have this money. I should give him some. The list goes on and on, right? But as I started to get super clear on that, it became really easy to see who I was aligned with and who I wasn't. And so I'd love for you to talk about your, you know, your experience with authentic money, inauthentic money, because I think this is going to really help people get clarity on where they're spending their time, their money, and yeah. arguably their energy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what it comes down to. Um, one of the, one of the 
things I'm most appreciative in my life is such a diverse range of, of allies and friends. And so there's a, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Jack Charles Aloka, the neuroscientist, um, crazy in a very responsible way. And I first heard the words authentic money from him. We were having a, a brilliant conversation in Croatia and it really sparked a, a huge conversation and mirrored so many of the things that I'd experienced in my own life. And when it comes to, to money, we are just naturally, we assume that more is better. Yes. And, but if we, if we look at the, the quality of the dollar, not from a financial sense as compared to another instrument, but if we look at the, the feeling of the dollar, you know, you look at, at these mom and pop restaurants, um, those that are, that are still open and you see they have their first dollar framed. Now, this is an honored tradition, especially in the hospitality industry. Now, this is our first dollar. It's very meaningful. It represents something. Take that to uh, somebody who's a coach or consultant and everybody who's in, in what I would call the wisdom economy is prob has probably had an experience of taking money that given another option, they wouldn't, they would have taken another option, but you got bills to pay. You got a goal to reach. You know what? Let's do this. And most people have an experience like that somewhere in their life. So all money is not created equal. Authentic money, in in my in my world and in, in what I share and in what I teach, is money that comes in that is just such a, a residual byproduct of a great connection. And so, you know, if I think back to when I was 15 years old teaching martial arts, I was, I would, since I was 12 years old, I'd take the bus from my house on the South side where I live with my family, South side of San Antonio, take the bus 45 minutes, go train, take another class, take the bus back home. And I loved it. It was like my life. I lived to train. I lived to teach. Eventually I got paid 50 bucks a month by my instructor to teach these classes. and. I remember getting that money and it was like, what? It was like too good to be true. Like I'm doing this thing that I live for and I'm getting money to do it. It was so confrontational. I was like, no, 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 no. And I had all this stuff from growing up. I'm like, no, no, you don't, no, you don't need money. And so it was hard for me to accept it. And that just kept, that feeling kept continuing. And I, and I started to realize that that feeling was, was a, uh, an, an indicator of authentic money. When I was so enchanted and so fascinated and so enthralled with the work that was being done, that the money wasn't even something I was thinking about. And then eventually I realized that, well, without a financial uh, transaction, it wasn't even about me or my lifestyle. It was that money, when somebody puts money down, especially serious money, what that just serves as, as a magnet for their focus and attention. And so, you know, that's why I don't, from the beginning, I, I've never charged like, oh, it's a hundred bucks a day to consult with me. I was like, no, like back in the beginning, when I was just starting out, it was like 5k a day. And people in the beginning were like, oh, that's a lot of money. I'm like, it's not for you then. Like, that's, wow. that's it. Yeah. But the people that were like 5k, here you go. And they pay immediately and we just make a game out of it. I said, all right, let's see how, how long in the, the day it takes for you to recoup that investment. 
and it, both of us would stay sharp me. Cause I want to, I want them to get their money back. Um, and them because they want to get their money back, but it just felt good to, to lean in. And as I kept raising my fees and kept attracting a different buyer who was so focused on growing and, and into it, the, the money truly became like a, just a, a back, like way back of the room kind of thing. We're just here to jam, man. We're just here to rock it out. And that feeling, that feeling of, of, um, of passion, that feeling of joy, that feeling of timelessness, that feeling where you just, there's no, no place in the world you'd rather be. There's nothing you'd rather be doing. There's nobody you'd rather be hanging out with than this person and doing this thing. That's the juice, man. That's where it's at because all the good ideas, the best ideas come from that space. It's this pregnant creative space. And if you continually fertilize it and continually water it and you continually cultivate it, what can you reap except magic? And then that magic becomes a new vertical. That magic becomes a new team. That magic becomes uh, buying a new business or selling this one successfully. But those in themselves are the natural byproducts of this, that juice. And so authentic money is money that, that in, in my vernacular, it's money that I receive that I would have done the thing for free because I love the thing or the person or their vision so much. And I feel so honored to get to bring, you know, these decades of experience and distinctions and challenges and exercises and, and sometimes mind fucks. And then sometimes just co-creating brand new concepts. I live for that shit. That's my function. That's my purpose. That's why I was born. So for me to get to express my purpose unapologetically and fully with somebody who can think fast and execute quickly. And if I, if I wasn't doing that, I literally probably would be dead because there's just, why else am I here? Dude. And that's, that, that leads us into your coaching, which, you know, you said last night that to, to, to connect with you through coaching is what you do is you lease your frequency. So I'd, I'd love for you to unpack that because that is such a beautiful way to express. Yeah, it's a, well, that term is a filter too, because anybody that's completely logical and rational and needs 46 volumes of scientific evidence to back up any of their personal experience, <laughs> I'm not the guy. <laughs> so if I could just say the F word in my offer, lease, <laughs> lease your frequency, then uh, the people that run from that, I'm like, y'all, y'all need to go hang out with somebody else. Um, but it, it is a frequency uh, and and there's other words for it, but you know, we've all had those experiences where you, and this is one where you have a conversation that's just so alive and so fun. You don't know where it's going to go, but you know that worthy seeds are being, are being watered. New fruit is being, is being harvested. Uh, new distinctions are being made and new seeds are being planted. And this is a very um, complete experience because it, it runs the spectrum from reaping to sowing and everything in between. So when you're in an experience like that, you, you bring forward a different version of yourself because there's an absence of resistance and nothing in nature struggles. Struggle is a human invention. It's a human perception and people can glorify, you know, the motivational quote, remember the successories from the nineties, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, you got the picture. We had that in college on yeah, our wall. Yeah, totally. And, and we glorify, you know, the, the, the flower poking up through their cement crack. And we're like, struggle, baby. The fucking flower doesn't struggle. 
The flower's like this way. No, this way. No, okay, this way. And it just goes where the path of least resistance is. There's no struggle in nature. And we, because we have these beautiful human minds that can also create meanings, we can create struggle, but it's not a natural phenomenon. Just because it's normal and most people choose it doesn't make it natural. So being in this state of non-resistant flow, where instead of saying yes or no, you just go yes and yes. Instead of saying, yeah, but you just say, yeah, yeah. And you just keep going in that direction. Uh, I started to realize how impactful this was um, because clients that, that would you know come in supposedly because they wanted to figure out a new marketing strategy or they wanted to figure out a new team building, you know, how, how do they uh, amplify their best aspects of their culture? They thought that's, that's where they were coming for. Then we spend the day together and a day in this zone feels like a week. Time behaves very differently when you're operating in a vacuum of judgment, when you are completely freed from the past and completely freed from the future, and you are filling this time and space with who and what you actually are. And it is beyond cathartic, but not in a like shitting in a bucket ayahuasca uh, uh, catharsis, but, but like, but being fully, really powerfully yourself, it is a restoration of your childlike qualities of being timeless of being kids on a Saturday morning with no chores to do. You're like, what do you want to do? Let's go ride bikes. And you get that giddy Ferris Bueller's day off feeling like this shit, this is actually my world. Whoa. And all of a sudden all these lost parts of someone comes right back to the surface. So there's, you know, I've, I've, I've had people who are extremely qualified professionals. Um, the one doctor, uh, dear friend and dear client, uh, phenomenally successful hand surgeon by the, by, a couple of days of working together, he is remembering and, re and re recalling all of this art that he used to make in, in high school. And he stopped making art, he stopped painting because people say, well, that's not smart and you can't make a living. So he stopped painting. And all of a sudden he was like, I'm an artist. He started painting again. And then he started selling his paintings. And he's still phenomenally successful. And in fact, his practice took off because he, he became much more entrepreneurial. Uh, and he, he, stopped, he stopped having the lines between all these aspects of himself. And all of that was removed. And who he is is who he is fully. And now he gets to consciously engage his competencies in different areas. But he's no longer living a fragmented life. And that's what happens when somebody's operating in a vacuum of resistance. And that frequency, uh, which I'm very appreciative to live in uh, and very, not even committed because that implies a choice. I don't have a choice. This is what I am. And I, I was born to be this. And then the doing is the natural byproduct of the being. And then the results of the doing are the natural byproduct of this being. And there are no lies in nature. If you look at the sun and the sun is shining these photons every direction, the sun doesn't have a fucking to-do list and is like, oh, make sure to nurture the earth today. It's like, no, the earth exists. Great. You got sunlight. The earth ceased to exist. Great. Sunlight's still going. Light is a byproduct of the sun's existence. Value creation is the natural byproduct of a human being's existence if they are aligned in their authenticity, their power, and their clarity. And as long as somebody has alignment on those three forces, that's it. Are you authentic? Are you being the you that you feel you should be? Are you powerful? 
Are you exercising your thought consciously? Are you allowing whatever idiosyncrasies and whatever little weird quirks that you have to be met with love and appreciation and, and, and respect for yourself? Because you're not ever going to be done. You're always going to be evolving. And do you have clarity? Clarity about your purpose, clarity about your path, and clarity about your plan. Those are all fixable problems if you don't. And once, you, once somebody gets dialed into those, all the problems go away and they just become fun puzzles because you know you've already won the game. What is the biggest, well, what's the biggest roadblock you see for people where, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that it's, I have a target in the future that I, I want to go land at that place, you know, versus what feels good right now in yeah. this moment. Yeah, that's a great one, man. So the, the biggest problem is that people think they want the goal. Ah. They don't want the goal. They want the way that, that the goal is going to feel. <laughs> they want who they're going to be when they have the goal. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And since that's what you're going for, fucking start there. How are you going to feel when you have a, a nine-figure exit? Really get into that feeling. What is that going to feel like? And how is that feeling going to be different than what you've been living? Who will you then be? Will you be more magnanimous? Will you be more giving? Will you be more contributing? Will you be more present with your kids? Okay, cool. Then stop blaming your failure to do those things on the fact that you haven't sold your fucking business yet and start doing those things now and cultivating that feeling of appreciation and eagerness and, and desire to create and to co-create. And then watch as the time frame collapses because all, especially economically in, in the life of the individual, Individual financial growth is an emotional journey. It's a process of normalization, normalizing this. Yeah, that's that's who I am. That's right for me. That's natural. Because especially we're, we're in this time of of inc incredible connection, digitally connected, socially connected. You're you're three or four conversations away from having a quantum leap in your production capabilities, uh, profit. These are just a couple of conversations, but those conversations can only happen when you're in the zone operating free from resistance. If you're trying to game the system with a bunch of other people who are gaming each other, that is a completely small way to think and nothing wrong with it. And a lot of people get off on that and they want to you know, fight over scraps, but the universe is not made of scraps. You can, you can have a, a teaspoon or you can have a typhoon. Like the universe doesn't care. <laughs> dude, dude, I know we're, we're running up. You got to... A call to jump on here. Is there anything, is there anything, I'm sure you've done a ton of podcasts. Is there anything you haven't shared with people kind of publicly that you think would be an interesting point to note? And by the way, I had a question about, it pinged me your last name. There's something very much um, this elder energy about you. And I didn't know if you, if you had personally made that connection or if anyone had expressed that to you, there's a wisdom that again, comes from your direct experience, which is your truth. And I think that the way you share that is so beautiful and so grounding that, uh, when, when, you know, I was kind of thinking about our podcast, it was the first time it came up for me. I never really considered your last name until mm. last night. Well, I had nothing to do with it. You know, I was born, born into this family. <laughs> so that's, my, that's my dad's name, you know, and his parents' name. Um, it, it has, you know, 
I guess, been congruent. Um, I, I feel 100% certain that I would be who I am, regardless of what my last name was. I guess from a branding perspective, it makes sense or helps people perhaps. Um, I've definitely been accused of changing my name to no try shit. and be this guy that I'm, I'm like, you know how lazy I am. You know that I would <laughs> never do that. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, in terms of sharing, let's see. Yeah. Um, probably just more recent stuff. Um, I've, I've been in a lot of inquiry and observation around uh, relationship, um, specifically partnership, because I've had such a, um, a diversity. I've, I've had a lot of different experiences from being completely solo and celibate for, for extended periods of time um, to you know, a, a beautiful partnership and marriage of 10 years and a ton of things in between. And it's been a, it's been on my mind and in my awareness more lately of what is, if I'm, if I'm looking at these, all these timelines, a, a couple of them have begun to sort of glow like on the, on the board. And one, uh, which is very, very attractive to me and very interesting is just to continue to be this sort of nomad dude who just appreciates and loves and just whatever flows flows. Um, I have friends that have, have experienced polyamory. That doesn't interest me. Um, I'm they're pretty selective with my energy. Um, but I, uh, something tells me that there's like, you know, go see what's over there. You know, this sort of like, just sort of open source your relationships and see what happens. Um, but it's more of a curiosity. You know, it's more of like, uh, what would that be like? The other timeline that is really um, continually active for me and, and increasingly so is around partnership and around family and around um, going, going deep and creating a truly robust intimacy that is anti-fragile and that serves as, as not only a sanctuary, but a laboratory and a dojo for these two humans to just be even more human and just experience everything there is. Um, I can see kids being a result of that and, or being in, involved in that. And, you know, with my property and, and just the ability to travel, there's so many things that I can 100% see uh, supporting a, a child and having that experience and seeing what would happen for that kid to be given massive amounts of love, physical safety, but also lots of danger, lots of risk, lots of uncertainty so that they can keep their frequency intact and see, see what happens with them. So a lot of inquiry right now. I love it. I love it, man. I love you, man. Thanks for coming I love you, on. Dude. This so is great. so awesome. How can, uh, how can people find you? Um, pretty active on social Facebook, uh, or, um, or Instagram. Instagram is, uh, at Jesse Elder live. Facebook is, um, could look up Jesse Elder live or time piercer on uh, facebook.com forward slash time piercer. And then my assistant handles everything for me. So if somebody's, uh, inquiring about coaching or there's, um, a, sp a specific question that I might be, um, qualified to answer and they might be qualified to ask. Uh, they can just email Helen at jessielder.com. She's my second in command, handles my time, my schedule. Amazing. Thank you, brother. Thanks for being Dude, here. Amazing. The best. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. 
For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearned.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.